0: Introducing the new Poloniex trading system, now with 30 times faster order matching, 10 times faster transactions, an enhanced user interface and even more comprehensive features. Trade like a pro on Poloniex. For more information, visit poloniex.com now. Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the Blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Shaparo, editor-at-large at The Block. And today, joining us on the other side of the mic is my guest, Keith Gross, head of UK EU for Plaid. Sir, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Frank. It's great to be here.
0: Great to have you here. Let's get into what you're working on over at the firm. We, we kind of talked a bit about your growth story, your career history, if you will, You were going to be an academic, but you were gripped by the the world of Google, and then you found your way down the crypto rabbit hole and have kind of been driving a lot of the different types of product innovation for crypto at Plaid. So we can talk a bit about that, but maybe you can give our listeners just some background on what you do at the firm.
1: Yeah, maybe it's helpful. I guess I'll start out giving you a little bit of background on what Plaid does and then what I do at, at Plaid as well. So if people aren't familiar with Plaid, we're an open banking platform and network. And what that means is we've connected to thousands of banks, more than 12,000 banks all over the world, and we standardize that access through a single API, which doesn't sound very sexy, but it's a really important part of the crypto and fintech ecosystem because what it does is you can combine that with KYC with data analysis on top of that bank data and create a way to onboard users into the digital financial ecosystem.
0: I always just knew it from, you know, when I wanna like connect to a new bank, right? It's like- Yeah, exactly. Whether it's like a wealth front to chase, you're kind of sitting in between those two guys to get the information across.
1: 100%, and if you wanna fund your Coinbase account, it's the same thing. And So what we do is we let you take your bank accounts and take your financial data and life around the digital world with you via APIs. And so what I do is I led our expansion to Europe. What brought me to Plaid is I was working at Google before helping expand their Google Pay and Google Wallet API suite and build out their hardware businesses. And I realized I love fintech and crypto. And I think technology is going to change the way people manage their financial lives. And I want to be a part of that. And I met the Plaid team. Zach is the founder and William who's now founded another company as well. And they were amazing. They just had such a big ambition and they really understood how much the way people manage their lives is going to change in the new world. And I wanted to be a part of that. So I led the expansion here to Europe, where now we support a lot of crypto exchanges, a lot of platforms to help them onboard users here in the UK, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, US, Canada, and more countries soon to come as well. So it's not just bringing people into the crypto ecosystem, it's also letting people track their crypto data all over the world as well, which is something that we announced recently. So we're one of those sort of back-end infrastructure providers, but actually really critical to making sure that crypto can grow and be as successful as I think it will be over the coming years.
0: Mm -hmm. And how did the firm first get involved in crypto? What was the catalyst?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So the Plaid started as its own budgeting application that basically pivoted, because of consumer demand and and fintech demand into being a B2B service. And it's the same story with crypto. You had you had exchanges like Coinbase early on saying, hey, we need to find a way to let people load money into their account and buy crypto. Can we use your service to verify who they are, make sure the bank account is legit, authenticate our users? And that's a big part of of why we've been there. So it really was consumer demand. I think the really interesting part about this though is at the beginning, of when Plaid got started, banks didn't want to open up this data or to let people, or consumers take their information, take their money with them all over the digital world. And it really took years of that demand building for the network to get big enough that now it's a key part of every institution strategy. And I think, as you you know mentioned, we've helped grow a lot of the FinTech apps like Venmo and Coinbase from really early days. And we've been with them all along the ride to help them grow into the behemoths that they are now.
0: Mm, interesting and so how does that work like what exactly is the service that you're providing in terms of connecting these different financial services apps together what does the back end of that look like
1: yeah i'd like to think about it as onboarding basically so you think about the steps when you download a new application and sign up you have to prove your identity you're probably taking a selfie picture if it's a financial service app you're taking a picture of your passport or license And then you're connecting your bank account. What we're doing on the back end there is we've done API integrations with all of the institutions, so we can connect you to your institution no matter where you bank. And then we're validating, is the name on that account match the name on that license? What's the the balance in this account? Are they good to transfer money, even if it's going to settle on the back end two or three days later? And what this enables is that sort of instant magic experience when you use a new FinTech app, where in just a few clicks and a selfie picture. You can now do something that used to require you to go in person with a bunch of paper documents to your local bank or local branch to get access to these services, be it mortgages, be it crypto exchanges. And we make that all happen instantly, digitally via our APIs.
0: Do you guys also facilitate sort of instant payments?
1: We do 100%. So a big part of the way we're used is to enable account to account payments, so basically paying from your bank account into a merchant bank account or paying another consumer. And we power that for a lot of the crypto ecosystem. So I think a really exciting part about this journey is we're actually helping make it easier for money to move from the fiat world into the crypto world, which is a really important part of the growth of the whole ecosystem, obviously. So working with many of the large exchanges, but also DeFi apps, NFT marketplaces, you name it, to make sure that It's as easy and safe as possible for people to be able to spend their money and take it into the crypto world whenever they want to. And so really building this full stack onboarding system and money movement is how to think about it.
0: I've always been confused when certain applications don't support the ability to just get it into your bank account instantly. Yeah, It's like, if the technology is there, why not implement it? I think Coinbase was a bit slower, like Venmo always, or at least as long as I can really remember, you know, I could basically instantly get money from Venmo to my Chase account. Whereas Coinbase, I think only recently started doing instant, typically would take maybe a few hours or a day, but now you can pay a fee and get it in there instantly. I have two like questions about the process behind that. Absolutely. Like, how is the fee determined? Is that just a, is that a revenue opportunity for the back-end service provider? Is that Coinbase charging it? To whom does it go? How is it determined? And, you know, I would love to be able to send money from my city to Chase instantly. I guess I could through Zelle, but Zelle's a pain in the ass to sign up for, and it's like annoying. So why doesn't everyone just have that instant payment feature and then that other component that I asked about?
1: This is a great question. And you're going to have to stop me because I'm going I'm to go ahead and, and, and dive into this. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so basically, part of this is due to the antiquated ACH rails in the US, right? And so when you're sending money on those rails, historically, it's typically taken three days to settle on the back end, right? It gets batched into a file by your bank, which is then sent to a clearinghouse, cleared and then settled two or three days later, sometimes 24 hours later. So when you're doing instant bank payments, and this is, again, where some of the back end magic happens, is we're running analytics to make sure that this is a non-risky transaction. And thus, Mm. the company can front the money to enable instant payments.
0: Is that based on me or is it based on on Coinbase, as an example?
1: That is based on the user. So basically, yeah, the user.
0: So they're like, Frank, he's got tons of money. He's fine. We can proceed.
1: <laughs> exactly. And then, but then, like Coinbase or Robinhood or Venmo, these other companies will also have their own risk models based on their user base. So, have they ever had a payment with Frank fail historically? How mm. often does Frank use the app? And so, there's actually really complicated risk models going on behind the scenes. And that's why sometimes there is a fee that is charged by those providers, so by Coinbase and others, because they're taking on the risk of that transaction if it, it fails. And the other interesting thing to think about, though, is What we do and what I spend a lot of time doing is trying to make all of these different payment rails and all these different markets as easy to use no matter where you bank. Because there's actually already instant payments in the UK and Europe on payment rails, like faster payments in the UK, SEPA instant in the EEA. And so actually ACH is very different as a pole rail that settles in two or three days. It's actually quite antiquated in that sense. It's like
0: literally the difference (laughs) between a steam engine train and those bullet trains in Japan.
1: That's right. I mean, it's 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 a total difference. But then this is where I think the value of some of these infrastructure players comes in, because if you're a global exchange, you don't want to have to solve this in every single country. And so it really is powerful to build platforms that help abstract away this complexity, no matter where a user is banking and make sure you can provide that same consistent experience. So short answer is whenever you hear that instant withdrawal or instant pay button, there's actually a lot of complexity behind the scenes to make sure that that's happening safely, securely, and instantly.
0: It's super fascinating, and yeah, they are called bullet trains, but in Japan, they're specifically called Shinkansen. I think
1: I still have not gone to Japan and ridden one, but uh, I've done the Eurostar, so I'm working my way up. Eurostar's
0: you know? good, yeah, that thing's fast. Meanwhile, you know, if I'm getting back to Jersey, it's like, you know, that thing's clocking in at like 40 miles per hour if you're lucky. And then, if you ever have taken the train south of the Mason Dixon, they transition from electric to gas or coal or something and they go even slower
1: i will avoid the amtrak at all costs (laughs) yeah the amtrak
0: is tough it's could be better but they're redoing that big station in new york When's have you been to new york recently
1: i have not been to new york yet this year actually i've been been stuck in london and europe i say stuck it's been great it's it's the summer after covid
0: (laughs) well you'll have to check out Moynihan station they're completely redoing it it's um going to be a new Amtrak, NJ Transit situation.
1: That's a great analogy, though, for these different payment rails. Yeah. And I think part of what has me so excited about crypto generally is I do think it can change the world of payments as stable coins and other crypto native rails start to get more adoption as well. So that's something that I'm spending a lot of time digging into and focusing on, too, is how do we enable this whole ecosystem? How do we make it easier for people to track, take their money and their financial life with them? You know. I spent most of my career in San Francisco, but then when I moved over to London, I had to restart. My credit score didn't come with me, all of these things. And I think it's a really interesting sort of personal experience to see something that lots of people go through that I really think financial technology can help change.
0: Yeah, the juxtaposition between the banking systems in Europe and America and then abroad is, is pretty, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I remember when I first found out that and this must have been in college, that in the UK there are no overdraft fees. Here in the US, we're moving away. I think City has now stopped doing overdraft fees. But I, I remember someone that I met who was from the UK was like, yeah, if we did that, there'd be there'd be riots in the streets. <laughs> um, and it was it's actually quite normal for you to sort of overdraft it way into the negative as and it almost functions as a sort of credit line. Exactly. And then of course, as you said, the difference between the actual underpinning payment rails. So there's a lot to think about there's a lot going on and you have to navigate the different sort of systems within centralized finance within crypto finance and then within defi as well. So as you prepare to build what does the strategy look like? Where are you focusing your energy the most right now?
1: Yeah, the way I think about it and it's also how we focus our energy is I think of us as being a network in between end users or consumers, so everyday people and their bank accounts between financial institutions and between new digital applications. That includes crypto applications and fintech applications. And your goal is to make the movement of money and data in between all those parties as easy and smooth as possible. So you really are trying to kickstart this network, sort of a classic two-sided network, although the side it's three-sided to get that going. And so when I think about where we focus, we're really focused right now on account opening and onboarding because we think that's the most important thing that's going to enable the next wave of growth over the coming 10 years in crypto and FinTech. So what that means is again, going back to how do we create, you know, take away the complexity, really smooth experience for someone to go from, I want to download this exchange to having a magic moment. I want to download this new app to having that magic moment. And if you think about what that means in the crypto world too, you're thinking about the same thing around bank accounts, but with wallets. And so I'm excited to spend more time thinking about what's going to happen in the DeFi world around that as well. I think part of what we've enabled is the ability to use your bank account and take it around the web, the way you can use a crypto wallet and connect it on any sort of DeFi website when you go to it. And so when I think about where that's headed, you you are essentially as a user going to have this backend wallet, whether it's your bank account or your crypto wallet that you control the keys to, and you can take wherever you want to use it around the digital world. That's where we're headed and so making that experience as easy and simple as possible and providing developers all the tools that they need to build great experiences is where we spend all of our time so in terms of the energy it's literally being out talking to developers and figuring out what's the hardest problem about building whatever you're trying to build today and as you start to hear about people's problems you start to hear the consistent themes about how you solve it and that's part of what led us to build our own kyc solution is because a big problem a lot of people have is not being able to identify who a user is signing up for a service. And with all the regs coming into crypto now from all over the place, that's fast becoming a must-have for better or for worse.
0: So let's let's maybe unpack the news that came out in July. You guys announced that you would add support, read-only support, excuse me, for leading crypto exchanges. What does that mean? What does that shift represent relative to how you were working with exchanges prior to that on an ad hoc basis.
1: Yeah, it's basically making the network bi-directional, if that makes sense. So a lot of the ways that we were helping crypto exchanges before was helping them onboard new users. But as they've gotten really big, they've essentially become their own financial institutions. So Mm -hmm. what we're doing now is letting a user, myself, Keith, be able to track my crypto holdings across all my different exchanges in my budgeting apps when I file my taxes, Mm -hmm. again, through a simple, single API. And so I think for me, I feel the benefit of it because I used to have what we would call personal financial managed app internally, but basically a budgeting app where I would track, okay, here's how much I spent on my credit cards this month. Here's how much my bank account has in it. But I couldn't bring my crypto into that. I had to have a separate crypto portfolio tracker. Now all of those are accessible in the same place. And so again, we are seeing crypto becoming a legitimate asset class and it needs to have all the tooling around it to be able to track it and use it in exactly that manner. And you're starting to see this happen at the institutional level as well, right? You're starting to see RIAs want to be able to track their clients' crypto holdings. And this goes back to the same thing. You want to be able to provide that access, but it needs to be safe and it needs to be read-only because nobody wants to give away the keys to their wallet, right? They just want to be able to track how much they're holding at any point in time. And that's what we enable here by partnering with these exchanges.
0: Do you see the growth rate of adoption slowing in the face of everything that we've seen in the market over these past few months with, you know, liquidity kind of being pulled out of the system, the blow up of various firms and hedge funds.
1: You know, it's really interesting. I think it depends on what you mean by activity. If you're talking about trading activity or dollars flowing in, there's certainly been a dip there. I think if you just have to go look at the Q2 results for the crypto exchanges that are public to see there is definitely a hit in the past few months. On the other hand, though, if you're looking at the number of active addresses on some of these blockchains like Ethereum, Solana, BTC, or the number of actual active transactions, it's staying really steady and growing. And so I actually think the underlying economic activity, if that makes sense, is mm-hmm. exactly on the same trajectory it was before. And you probably just had some of the speculatory excitement around the investing side taking out of it. We've seen this cycle before, right, in the in the winter markets of 2018. But I think I'm still very excited for what's going to be built during this time because the developer activity is growing at the same rate.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And where do you think stablecoins fit into the future of payments? Is it just going to be like, to what extent are we going to all have wallets instead of a bank account and pay for everything in a USD or something?
1: I, I mean, I think it's, it's a really good question. I think it's too early to say exactly how it's going to shake out. But I think what is clear is that stable coins are going to play a really huge role in the growth of the crypto ecosystem for, for nothing else by enabling settlement and transfer of money across borders in, a, again, a stable currency. And if you see just the growth of that over the past two years, I think USDC has gone from being like five or 10% of the stablecoin market to more than a third of it. In just the past two years. There's massive changes happening under the covers right now in the stablecoin ecosystem. I think the interesting question longer term is, as stablecoins get bigger and bigger, does this become something that centralized governments want to have a role in, you you head towards the CBDC world, like you have the digital yuan in China? Mm -hmm. Or is this third parties like USDC that are backed by verified assets? I think that question is very much one that still needs to be answered. But the role, I think, of stable coins is clear and the benefits that they offer for individuals are clear as well. And I think there's something really interesting again about providing individuals who are used to fractional reserve banking the ability to own their own coins as well. I think there's going to be some factor of that being important for a certain portion of individuals in the long term. So in short, I do think stable coins have a huge role to play in the future of payments. Whether I think people will only have a crypto wallet versus a traditional bank account, I think for the foreseeable future, you need both. But I think certainly there's going to be the type of thing where users are going to have have one foot in both sides of that ecosystem.
0: Users probably will. What about financial institutions? you think Chase will give me a wallet one day to hold my USDC?
1: I wouldn't be surprised if they're thinking about it. I'm sure most financial institutions have a a skunkworks team looking at crypto, thinking about what we should build. I mean, when I think back, even in 2014, in my Google days, when we were looking at Google Pay and Google Wallet, we were debating, should we have something around Ethereum built into this? Didn't end up happening, but it's certainly something that's being debated by all of the large institutions. I think the question is, does that fit with the ethos of sort of the crypto native population, maybe less so? But when do you think about this hitting mass market? I mean, again, we only have 200 million Ethereum addresses to date. There's 7 billion people in the world. There's a lot of people that still have to come into this ecosystem. And maybe part of the way that happens is through traditional financial institutions or other fintechs offering crypto wallets. When you think about what, again, PayPal, Venmo, Square Cash, some of these FinCats have done in terms of bringing people into the crypto ecosystem, it is pretty impressive. So I actually think it's starting first in fintechs and might filter into traditional banks over time.
0: introducing the new poloniex trading system with 30 times faster order matching 10 times faster transactions an enhanced user interface and even more comprehensive features trade bitcoin ethereum and over 30 other perpetual swap contracts with up to 100x leverage on poloniex futures and earn staking rewards on a variety of tokens trade like a pro on poloniex for more information visit poloniex.com now Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry leading compliance, market intelligence and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainanalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, seritanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. Well, let's talk about DeFi for a second. How can you guys kind of help connect users to the world of decentralized finance? Can I, you know, one day in the same way that I can click on Coinbase to authenticate my Chase account via Plaid, could that same experience exist moving funds between Chase and Uniswap?
1: I think it, it definitely can. Because
0: yeah. I, I'm a DGEN and I, I want to be able to do that more easily.
1: <laughs> well, we need to enable you to become a bigger DGEN, right? Exactly. Uh, short answer is, is 100%, right? The on-ramp technology and off-ramp technology for bringing fiat into crypto and crypto into fiat is something that we specialize in and work on, regardless of whether it's a centralized exchange or a DeFi exchange. So actually, a, a good example here is you used to be able to do that on Dharma before they got bought by OpenSea, and that was all mm-hmm. powered by Plaid. So again, you had that being able to instantly transfer funds. The reason that matters is because crypto is being used as an investment tool, whether it's in a, a DGEM way or a you know more long term way, doesn't matter, but it's being used as an investment tool. And in that sense, you want to be able to move large transaction sizes and card rails and other payment methods were not built for that. They're really expensive for that method. So yes, you can use the Apple Pay and Google Pay button, but that's you're probably seeing a 3% fee to move money in. Whereas doing big transactions on ACH rails or faster payment rails is a much more efficient and cost effective method for consumers and for DeFi applications to get money onto their platform. And so that's something we really focus on doing. What we don't do today is the actual conversion into crypto. So the crypto liquidity side of it, that's where these DeFi programs either offer their own or work with other providers to offer that. But in terms of getting fiat money in, that's where Plaid really has spent a lot of time focusing on helping solve the problem there. And again, I think the other aspect that we add is being able to know that the money coming in is coming from a legitimate source, which more and more Mm. is becoming important, right? I think the big news this week, right, was the tornado cash being hit by sanctions. I think now in the DeFi world, it's becoming more and more clear. Again, some people are anti this, but I think the direction of travel is clearly in this direction that you need to be able to prove that someone who's bringing money into the crypto ecosystem, that that money is clean. And this is again, a place where being able to verify which bank it comes from, that the user has ownership of that bank account and that the ID of who they say they are matches that ownership of the bank account. Those pieces being together in the back end is really critical. And that's something that we help a lot of DeFi applications with.
0: Well, this is something that we've talked about with a few different folks in the show. Most recently with Mike Brock of Block, of TBD <laughs> at Block came on to talk to The Blocks, Frank Chaparro, Um, the importance of digital identity. So they're kind of building their Web5 platform, if you will. And a key part of that is this idea of having a digital identity that can kind of be tied to you, but also private. And as you engage with different entities, you can sort of share and link that up with them so they can sort of validate who you are. And it can also allow you to have control of your own data, what do you think the role is of digital identities and what would you say to the the naysayers that say, no, it should just be completely you know, free and open and frictionless? You don't need to know anything about me for me to spin up yeah. a new liquidity pool or something.
1: There is something attractive about the holy grail side of this, about the total anonymity but I think, again, if you want to go mass market, if you want everybody to be using crypto, it has to feel safe. And for something to feel safe, you need to be able to prove who you are and take that identity around with you. The way I like to think about this and where the way I think it will head over time is, I do think that there will be some open source blockchain style solution to digital identity where you can own the keys to a token, a soul bound token, whatever you want it to be that proves your identity. But then there's going to be a great UX on top of it almost like a single sign on button, like a login with Google or what used to be logging with Facebook buttons. I think you're going to get to that world in crypto where you can log in with your own digital identity that you have as verifiable. and can take around with you. There's a lot of companies that have been working on things like this, right? You have three box labs with ceramic networks. That's trying to think about how can you create a social network that you can take around with you and control as a user? There's also, you know, I think about Keybase, which I believe was bought by Zoom back in the day, but they used to try and verify users by having them post hashed phrases on social media that they owned. And again, you build this social verification. So this is starting to be attacked by a lot of different players. I don't think it's been solved yet, but I think if you look at other markets around the world where digital identity is already a thing, the benefits are so clear. So in a lot of Eastern European and Nordic markets over here that we see, actually there's already a digital ID and it's typically either government-backed, like you have in Estonia where you essentially have a digital license, or you have a bank ID type of example in the Nordics where all the banks got together and created a shared identity based on the KYC Mm -hmm. they've done for users when they sign up for bank accounts. And it's so simple if you're a user and a native in one of those countries to sign up and use new services. It's so clear that that has benefits long-term in creating safety while creating a really easy to use experience. And when you think about the US and some of the mobile phone operators who are thinking about being able to partner with state departments to load your license onto your device and carry it with you, I think we're really fast heading to a world where your identity is no longer a passport or a license. It lives with you online or on your device in the secure enclave and you take it with you wherever you want in the digital and physical world. I think that's where we're headed.
0: And how is the firm involved in that?
1: So where we're involved with that is two ways. One is we partner with a lot of data sources to be able to verify an ID. So again, we have an offering, this was through our Cognito acquisition recently, where you can take a picture of your license and we'll validate that that is in fact a real license. And then you take a selfie and we validate, you are the person that appears on that license. And then you have tokenized proof that you can take via our APIs into other applications to say, yes, we've proven that this person is real and they are who they say they are. So that's where we help. And then the piece that we also do is tying that to the identity of the bank account holder. Mm. So again, this is where you provide a lot of trust and safety. And so some of the things that we work on that, again, we support crypto exchanges with here is you have people who will use a legitimate ID to sign up for a service, but then try and send money from a nefarious bank account. By making sure the bank account is owned by Keith, and Keith has proven his identity, tying all those together is how you create a safer ecosystem. What we don't do is create a digital driver's license yet. That's you know what Apple and others are working on. I think there's a lot of players working on this. The problem with digital identity or why it's so powerful, but also why it's so hard to do, is it really only works if it's at scale, right? Mm. If everyone is using it, if every institution is accepting it, if every merchant is accepting it, and that just takes a really long time to happen. Um, and it takes somebody with immense reach like a plaid like somebody else to be able to help create those those pieces of technology
0: and it honestly in a country as big as the United States you don't have that ability to create uniformity you have so yeah. many banks you have so many fintech apps you have so many local and state governments and you know that's part of what makes this place special is that sort of the self-governance of the states. To a yeah. degree, but it also results in everyone looking a little bit different in terms of the technology that is readily available. It's funny, you know, in Australia, every every time you go out to eat, and I'm sure this this is like this in Europe as well. There's not a single place that doesn't come up to your table with the terminal, uh, yeah. the cash app device, or a similar type of a device, and you just plop your card in there, or just tap the card tap your watch and here even like some of the biggest companies in in the country walmart for example like don't take apple pay or or google play they take walmart pay is what they have and it's just mind-blowing to me like it seems like it's so simple and this is something that i feel like you guys can help facilitate but how do you sort of push the innovation like if Walmart, if you're listening, just please accept <laughs> accept Apple Pay. It's so easy. Home Depot too. I go to Home Depot. No Apple Pay. I'm like, let's just let's get going. What's going on?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, part of this is is sort of the war is not the right world, but the the battles going on behind the scenes because there is you know a lot of third parties involved in a the transaction. There's a lot of fees that get charged. And so I think some of the big merchants like a Walmart are hesitant to implement something, even if it obviously is so beneficial for consumers, it might be expensive for them. And so there's a lot of back and forth to think about, you know, owning the point of sale and what actually creates a great experience there. When you think about what Square or I guess block now has released recently, and where they're headed, you might get to a world where if you're checking out with Square cash, at a merchant or a coffee shop that uses the square merchant system, it might just be a closed loop transaction, which is sort of the holy grail that people are trying to get to as well. But to answer your question directly of what we can do to help here, I've always been a believer in if you create really easy to use tools, really smart people will go build the solutions here. And so that's what we really focus on, is making it easier than ever to spin up and start a new application. And eventually the powers of innovation make the solution happen. The best solution will win. Consumers will vote with their feet, will vote with where they want to bank, where they want to pay, what provides the easiest experience. You see this happening in the crypto ecosystem, in the fintech ecosystem, in all sorts of ecosystems. The best experience will win longer term. And so what we focus on is providing the easiest use tools and letting people go out and build those solutions in the long run. And yeah, I hear you on the benefits, but here in the UK, I rarely take my wallet out with me because The tube, the bus system, every restaurant, everywhere, you can just pay with your phone and it's that simple. And again, you can do bank to bank payments. So if we have to split a bill afterwards, I don't need to go to a Venmo, I can do that directly from my bank. So there's lots of innovations that have happened in different markets that I think need to spread globally over time to be really successful.
0: We still have ACs here though.
1: That's true, that's true. I'm over here sweating right now. It's 32 degrees Celsius in London today. It's um, probably
0: like sixty four degrees in my basement right now. So Well, uh, I recently <laughs> nice had a, and nice and
1: cold. I recently had a colleague that went to New York and thinking about this this payments aspect, one of the things that blew their mind is when they went out to a bar and the bartender just took their card and kept it. That yeah. is so that seems so strange to someone coming from the UK and Europe. It, yeah, always, it always freaks you out freaks if you've never out. seen that. Whereas, you know, growing up as an American, you're very used to that setup, but it's something that is very uniquely tied to the US payment infrastructure. It is not something that is global in that sense. And so I do think that for being as big and advanced an economy as the U.S. is, there's a lot of things that a lot of conveniences that they could take from other places and uh, hopefully will scale back into the U.S. over time. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's very it's very strange, but interesting. I went to dinner not too long ago and I ordered a drink and he said, let me get your card. He goes, i trust you but the restaurant doesn't which i thought was very funny (laughs) all this is underpinned by varying degrees of trust how do we instill trust into the system between all these people trying to move value
1: i mean that's a great way to to put it right is like Mm -hmm. this is and this is this is why i remember the the people who introduced me to crypto back in the day the engineers were talking about how interesting it was to have a system based on numerical definitions or algorithmic trust versus human based trust. I, I do, I have come around to the fact that I think longer term, you need both for this again, to truly scale. But it's really interesting that what we're really talking about when you're talking about payments is trust. Mm-hmm. Do you trust your institution to take care of your money. Do you trust this individual to, to actually be good for the payment they're making? It is all about that. And I think we're more and more moving to a place where trust is becoming digital, improving trust online in the digital world is very different than proving trust in a physical community-based system that most of humanity has been in for most of history
0: absolutely so what product should we expect out of the firm over the next couple you know months half a year
1: yeah i think a few things here so we talked about crypto data aggregation adding more insights and analytics on top of that is something that's going to be interesting so again making it easy for you to categorize what's a transfer versus a payment versus an investment making your own crypto data useful. The other big one is making it easier to onboard. So again, tying together your identity, your bank account verification, instant payments in, instant payments out, making that happen in the fewest number of clicks and the smoothest experience. This is something that hopefully will become more and more invisible to people around the world because it will just happen and it will just naturally feel magical in the same way that face ID to tap and pay feels magical now. That's what we're helping to build here. So being that bridge between the fiat world and the crypto world and going much deeper into the payments there is something we're really focused on. So the ability to to reconcile funds instantly, to do instant payouts, to manage risk on behalf of some of these exchanges with their end users, all of those are products that we're looking to build out and go deeper into our API suite. So hopefully the end outcome of that is we have new wallet creators being built, new exchanges scaling and new people entering the crypto ecosystem because I do think it's a really interesting place. It has a lot of benefits for people if done safely and appropriately. And that's something that we're really working to help build.
0: Yeah. You got to help people, you know, not get giga rugged. That's yes. the, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's it's very what true. Want to avoid.
1: Well, Well, part of uh, like a good example here of that is I think there are still people who get you know, a wallet address in a random anonymous Twitter DM that will actually go and try and send money to it, right? It's the new version of the Nigerian Prince email scam, right? And so I think being able to verify wallet addresses is something that's really interesting as well. And bringing more safety into the digital ecosystem around crypto is something that we're spending a lot of time thinking about how it can help there too.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and that's the other thing, like, you know, ensuring that the wallet is the right type of wallet to send something to and to sort of, you know, have features around or warnings around making mistakes. That was the big thing back when the first NFT wave hit was one of the celebrities who got, got a board ape or something like sent it to his Coinbase wallet, which is like, no, 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 don't want to do that. But for people who live and breathe this stuff every day, they, you know, we can kind of Joke about how silly that is, but for normal people that are not as crypto savvy, that seems like a very honest mistake.
1: 100%. And just understanding what different chains are and what that means, like what is Polygon versus Ethereum. This is stuff that I still think it hasn't been diluted to the point where the average person on the street can really grok it and really can get into it and feel safe without having to do a lot of research. And I think for crypto to really reach the impact that I think it is capable of doing, it has to get to that point where it feels that safe and that normal. And so I think there's a lot of work to be done on the UX and safety side and sort of the educational side, to your point, to make this adoption really grow.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Well, sir, really appreciate you coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun.
1: It was fantastic to be here. Thank you for making the time and for introducing me, I guess, before the show started to the world's best sandwich. So I'm going to take that recipe away.
0: <laughs> that is something that it's just so easy to make. <laughs> just put the chicken on the pan there, top it up with some oregano, pepper, sea salt, put some olive oil over it, let it take care of itself after a while. It's a tiny bit of marinara on top of it. Let it keep cooking a little bit. Then I get the sandwich, the the ciabatta bread ready. Put the mozzarella on both sides. Drizzle some more olive oil. Put that in the air fryer for a little bit of time. Chicken at this point, probably getting, getting to be about ready. Take that out. Okay. Take the bread out. Mozzarella's melted. Okay. Put the marinara on top. Also have some heirloom tomatoes. Get the arugula. Boom. And and the secret with the marinara is I put a little bit of honey to sweeten it. All right. So you get those heirloom tomatoes, the mozzarella, it's just so many amazing As flavors. I said,
1: Anthony Bourdain vibes. Well, if, I mean, if you ever get tired of doing the block podcast, I think you should just start recording live recipes and your own sort of feedback and just putting those up on YouTube. So I, th- I think there's something there, Frank.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> I honestly agree. Like but we shall see. All right, sir, where can our uh, listeners learn more about what you're doing and what we should expect next?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They can find us at plaid.com, P-L-A-I-D.com for all the latest. And you can find me on Twitter at K-M-G-R-O-S-E, K-M Gross. Thanks again for having me on. And hopefully we talked a little bit about all the tools and the way that we're helping make crypto grow, but I'm excited for the developments here. I think we'll get through this winter and it's going to be an exciting future ahead for the crypto ecosystem
0: it was great to get your insights on this keith keith thank you again for joining the show hope to talk to you soon
1: sounds good thank you frank
0: the scoop will be back for you again with another great guest have an awesome day